as we find our way back to the seats, I just want to reflect on the the poor lady, the poor lady in the picture that you're you're watching. You know, this is this is a person that many of us can relate to this time of year. She obviously is experiencing that common that common state of Christmas anxiety. As I mentioned, mental health professionals say this is one of the most difficult times of the year for people's mental and emotional health. And some of the things that uh, cause that anxiety is, uh, and I know I, I know I see it all around me, is that your to-do list is too long. Too long to-do list. That is hanging over you. And you can't even remember half of the things that you've forgotten. The anxiety of knowing that there's something that you're, you, you have to get done before the big day comes and it's not done. It weighs on people. Also, there's the, the financial burden in this age of inflation. This is the, this is the Christmas season of inflation. We never had a Christmas in our lifetimes as expensive as this for people to celebrate and to buy and receive gifts and how to do so. And the whole gift giving process can be, uh, anxiety producing for people in serious ways. You know, I trust it's not your case, but for many families it is. As the family seeks to gather together for seasons like Thanksgiving or Christmas, family conflict rears its head. And so when it comes to Christmas, some people, rather than looking forward to it, they fear it. They fear Christmas. And yet, isn't it, isn't it interesting that in God's Word, in the, in the biblical story of Christmas, one of the main themes and messages of Christmas is fear not. Fear not. That's a message that we hear again and again and again. Fear not. That's the old translation. We also see it translated, another old way to say that is, be not afraid. I like that one. Be not afraid. Modern English translations just say, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. And yet when you hear that, if you're like me, that's one of those that's one of those strange commands because it's one of those that seems empty. Can you really tell somebody that? Don't be afraid. Or does it rank right up there with, don't worry, don't be mad. You know, there's, there's all of these things that you tell people, but how can they not be? As a husband, I've tried the don't be mad thing a number of times, and I'll tell you, it just doesn't work that well. You've got to replace fear and worry and anger with something else. You can't just say, tear it up, throw it away. You're being silly. Don't be afraid. Don't be mad. Don't be worried. And you can add to that list. What does God offer in place of fear in the Christmas story? And I think when it comes to times of anxiety and fear and apprehension in our own lives, that this lesson from Christmas, though we often overlook it, is an important one. It's not an empty command. Let's see what replaces fear in the Christmas story. One of the first groups we meet in the Christmas story, and it's interesting that we meet them in the book of Luke, it's not Joseph, it's not Mary, it's relatives of Mary. It's Zechariah and Elizabeth. It's a couple that have been patiently praying and beseeching and begging God for years. This is a couple 
that they married with all the same hopes of everybody else in that time and culture, that God would bless the union of their marriage with offspring, with children. That was the goal of every marriage in the time of Jesus, to produce children, to carry on the family name. There was no social safety net if you had no children. In your older years, you had no one to care for you, to be with you to the very end. I can only imagine how difficult it was, especially for Elizabeth, that as they married, the years began to creep by, and one by one, all of the other women in the village broke the good news, all of the others in her age range, that they were expecting their first child. She was happy for them, but as they announced their second child, their third child, she began to be less happy. Maybe it was difficult for her to go out and be around others, and especially to paste on a smile. Because in that culture, it was generally blamed on the woman. There was something wrong with her. But as we know today, it could be either one. The Bible just says that she was barren. They had no children. They were struggling with that. And you know this was a prayer that was on Zechariah and Elizabeth's lips every day. How many of you can relate to that? How many of you have something or someone that you've been praying for for years? And as the years go by, that child or grandchild that's making one, one self-destructive decision after another, you begin to worry, be anxious. Fear creeps in that that prayer will never be answered, that God just isn't hearing. And I'm sure that is a fear that they had as well. So it's interesting, the first of the fear knots of the Christmas season come to those who have been patiently praying for years. And we read about them in the book of Luke, chapter 1, verse 5. In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were upright in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commandments and regulations blamelessly. Though you know there was plenty of blame laid at their doorstep that God was somehow punishing them. But they had no children because Elizabeth was barren and they were both well along in years. The window was, was closed. God had not answered their prayer. And so not only was there fear, but there must have been doubt and despair entering into that as well. Well, I love the fact that God encourages us. Don't give up on prayer. Don't give up. Before telling the parable of the unjust judge, I love the, the introduction to it. Luke 18, 1 says, Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. <laughs> That's from Jesus. Don't give up. Don't give up on prayer. Don't give up on him. Always pray. God is listening. It's always answered. Be aware of that. Always pray. Never give up. In fact, in Matthew chapter 6, we read something else that Jesus says about prayer. Jesus says, Matthew 
we read in Matthew chapter 6, verse 7. In Jesus, a number of instructions on prayer, he tells them this. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans who think that they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. That's an important thing to understand. That the ones you're praying for, the answer to that prayer is already in motion. We often think that maybe God is caught flat-footed, that I'm praying something that He's not prepared to answer. I have a picture of a, a wonderful missionary. The story of her life is amazing. What she suffered and went through for the gospel as a missionary in the 1950s and 1960s in Belgian Congo, and she was there when the, the colony became an independent country. She was there in the Civil War, captured with missionaries, tortured, assaulted horribly, and yet forgave those who did such terrible things to her. She was a doctor by training from England, Dr. Helen Rosevere. She told a story once that speaks to that, the fact of God answering prayer. She said in the mission station deep in the jungles of Congo, a woman from a village came. She had no husband. He had been killed in an accident. And she came heavy with child, holding the hands of a little girl, a toddler. And she went into the station where Dr. Helen not only taught a class of children, but she ministered to all the medical needs of the village. And this woman, her child came early. And the nurses there in the station with Dr. Helen, they knew there was very little they could do. The child was too early and the complications were such that the mother died in childbirth. The little baby was premature. It was delivered early. And they didn't have the facilities, the, the neonatal equipment to save it. So they desperately began to work on a homemade incubator. And one thing, because it was the cold, rainy season of the year, they needed, in the worst way, they needed heat for that little baby. And they couldn't rig up a light bulb. They were trying one thing after another. They knew that what they needed was a good, old-fashioned hot water bottle. And they had one on the station, but it was so old and the rubber was rotten, they tried to tape it together, but they didn't want to soak the baby. It just wasn't enough. And so in tears, Dr. Helen was teaching her class that morning, and she told the little ones of that need. And she said, one little girl prayed, and her prayer was, she says, dear Lord, give us a hot water bottle. We need it today, or it'll be too late. And then she said, and we need a little doll so that the sister of the baby won't be so lonely without her mommy. <laughs> it just struck to the heart of this old missionary. Well, she said, it's one of those stories that it's difficult to believe until it happens to you. But that day, the, the drayman who would deliver the, the supplies and packages had a, had one of those care packages from a little mission circle in England. And it had been on the docks and traveling a long time. In fact, the ladies had packed it almost half a year, five months earlier. As they opened it, they saw the regular used clothes and about two layers down, <laughs> a brand new hot water bottle that day. And 
As they unpacked it, the little girl who'd prayed that prayer, she knew what was in it. And she dug and dug until she was almost at the bottom and found that doll for that little girl. Dr. Helen said that prayer hadn't been prayed for months. It would be five months until the need and the prayer would be prayed, but God had arranged the answer for that prayer so long before. Friends, the prayers that people like Zechariah and Elizabeth pray, the prayers that you pray, sometimes we despair not understanding that God is bringing about something wonderful in our lives. And going through those dark valleys will make the answer to the prayer so much more powerful and so sweet. What an amazing thing. God only answered, not only answered the prayer of Zechariah and Elizabeth, but He answered the prayer with their child who would be John the Baptist, the forerunner of the Messiah, the Elijah spoken of in the prophecies of the Old Testament. We continue the answer to that prayer in Luke 1 verse 8. Once when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by lot according to the custom of the priesthood to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time for the burning of the incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to give him the name John. The prayer was answered. It was answered. Those prayers, Jesus says, always pray. Don't give up. But all too often, fear and doubt creep in. That God will not listen. He cannot hear. And we don't even pray them. The late preacher Adrian Rogers, a wonderful speaker and a one-time president of the Southern Baptist denomination, he said, Satan can't keep God from answering our prayers, but he will keep us from asking. Ask yourself today, is there a prayer that because of fear that an anxiety that God will not answer or listen that you no longer pray? Overcome that. Replace, replace doubt with thankfulness. <laughs> That's a wonderful story. The thankfulness and rejoicing of Elizabeth and Zechariah that God had heard their prayer. He always did. When we come to the story of Mary and her fear, she was somebody who for God to bring about what he said he would do, his promise, it would have to be miraculous. And there are things that you think are impossible in your life. You need God's hand to move. You need the miraculous. We look at stories like the, the answers of her prayer one after another for little little Ely or, or Clark and Marilyn, and we say, it, we need the miraculous. God, we're asking for the miraculous. Are you needing the miraculous? Are you trusting God for something great? Don't be afraid. We read the story further in Luke chapter 1, and it comes to the story of Mary, Elizabeth's kinsman. In the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, 
a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will be with the child and give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name of Jesus. For this to happen, Mary, as a virgin, would have to be something never seen before, something miraculous. And yet, unlike Zechariah, who responded with doubt, Mary responded with faith. She trusted God. She trusted him. They both asked how, but one was doubting and one was asking how she could obey the Lord in this situation, how this was going to come about because it was entirely miraculous. Not only would this child's conception and birth be a miraculous, never-before-seen thing, but the child themselves would be the God-man, Jesus, fully God and fully human. This was her son who one day would get in trouble with people for saying things like we see in John chapter 10. Jesus stated clearly his divinity, I and the Father are one. Again, the Jews picked up stones to stone him. But Jesus said to them, I've shown you many great miracles from the Father. For which of these do you stone me? And Mary had seen the miraculous one thing after another, changing the water into wine feeding the multitudes with a child's lunch. Jesus walked on water, healed the sick, raised the dead. There are things that we face. We say, God wants me to do it. I know He does, but it's going to take a miracle. We often fear that. We have anxiety over it. But as Mary did, we need to replace or fear with faith. In the last, well, not even the last century, in the 1800s, a wonderful Canadian preacher, A.B. Simpson, we remember him today as the founder of the Christian Missionary Alliance. He was a great man of faith, always trusting God for the miraculous. Simpson once said, our God has boundless resources. The only limit is in us, our asking, our thinking. Our praying are too small. Our expectations are too limited. It's like Mark Buchanan's wonderful book, Your God is Too Small. Mary's wasn't. And her son revealed God can do it. He specializes in the impossible. He created the natural, for he is by definition supernatural. Trust the miracle-working God What are you trusting him with today? Mary's fear was replaced by faith when she saw the angel face to face. Well, we continue the story. The next fear not, of course, is not Mary, but it's it's Joseph himself. Joseph was challenged, challenged to obey. He had his own plan in mind, and God challenged him to obey in a different way. And some of you... You know down deep what God wants of you. Perhaps you've been avoiding it. 
one of my former staff members at a church I served previously, he said he felt a call into ministry, but that wasn't his plan. So he went long haul truck driving. He said, I drove a million kilometers trying to escape from God. But finally, after a decade, God caught up. He couldn't avoid that obedience any longer. Well, Joseph was challenged to obey. And the fear that that brought in to lose control in that way. Challenge to obedience. Joseph's challenge was seen in Matthew chapter 1, beginning in verse 20. Joseph had his plan in mind. He loved Mary, found out she was pregnant. The shame of it all, he wanted to spare her and as much as possible to divorce her and put her away quietly because even the engagement, the betrothal had to be formally divorced and he wanted to settle it and just spare her any way he could. So he had it all worked out in his mind. The verse 20 says, but after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. God's plan was very different from Joseph's. How will he obey that? It's an incredible change, of course. And yet, he obeyed. He took his hands off the steering wheel and let God take control. And friends, I believe that's one that we all struggle with. We all want to be the captain of our own soul, that chart our own course through life, choose our jobs, our spouse, choose everything. How many of us trust God for these things? Let God have control. Joseph's fear of losing control in the situation was overcome. The angel told him, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife. And we continue the story a little further down. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife, but he had no union with her until she gave birth to a son and he gave him the name Jesus. Well, I'm thankful for Joseph's obedience, for replacing control with faith and letting God be the master. Let God be the Lord. Because that's what it is. It's a lordship issue. Who is your Lord? The old word for master. Who sits on the throne of your life? The old Campus Crusade pamphlet. Is God on the throne? Is Jesus your master? Are you still in control? And wanting Him to do what you desire. The great old Scottish preacher G. Campbell Morgan was speaking at a missions event, an annual conference. And so the people who were at that conference were going to be interested in the mission field, in going, in supporting, and so forth. And he delivered a message that he probably preached many times before. But as he looked through the audience and saw people's response, he saw one young woman who seemed in distress. This message was not sitting right with her. She was struggling with it. And he could tell that there was a great struggle going on inside of her. In the break between sessions, he greeted people, but he always kept his eyes. And finally, 
he saw this woman and he went to her and he asked her what was going on on the inside. He said, I could see that the message in the scripture I spoke, it, it, it affected you. You're struggling somehow. And she broke down and she shared with him. She said, Dr. Morgan, she says, I feel God calling me to serve him as a full-time vocational missionary. But, she said, I have so many responsibilities at home. I can't give up on those. I have family to take care of. I have, I have commitments. I have all of this. I can't obey. And in doing so, give up on all of these other things. I just, I have too much on my plate. I can't do it. And so he opened his Bible to her. He says, have a seat on this bench. And he set his Bible on his lap. And he gave her his pen from his pocket. He circled the verse, Acts chapter 10, verse 13 and 14. Peter, seeing the vision of the great cloth lowered from heaven with all the unclean animals in it. And in that vision, the voice of Jesus speaks. Then a voice told him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. Surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I've never eaten anything impure or unclean. Dr. Morgan gave her his pen and he said, spend time with God and then take this pen and scratch out one or the other. Scratch out, surely not, or scratch out, Lord. It's got to be one or the other. Because as Peter found out, those two are contradictory. You don't tell the master, no, surely not, Lord. He came back later and found her. And with a smile on her face and tears in her eyes, she says, I'm trusting God that he can take care of all of these obligations at home. And he gave, she gave the Bible back and surely not have been scratched out. Boy, I think that story speaks to a lot of us. Some of us may have something that God has challenged us and wants us to do, and it may have gone undone for years. A calling on our lives. It's not just for vocational missionaries or pastors. We all have a calling. We all have a mission field that's waiting for us. And that mission field, speaking of it, the first missionaries, the first evangelists are mentioned in the Christmas story. But many of us have a fear of sharing the gospel. When God calls you to share the gospel, many of us, a chill runs down our spine. We feel cold. Fear strikes our hearts. Oh, no. Do I have to knock on doors? Is it cold calling? Do I have to stumble through? I, I, I'm not the pastor. I'm not a missionary. I'm not Billy Graham. I can't share it. I, I can't do it. We get so afraid of sharing the gospel. You've got to remember what the gospel is. That's an old English word that just means good news. And good news is for sharing. The things I dread is breaking bad news, but it has to be shared. Oh, poor doctors who have to give people a bad or difficult diagnosis. The worst possible news. But you, as God's child, you have the good news of the gospel and it's made for sharing. 
The first people who are called to share that good news are right there in the Christmas story. It's those old shepherds who are watching their flocks in fields nearby. Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 8, we see the message of the angel to the shepherds. We hear it so much this time of year. It said, And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Fear not, be not afraid. Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy. It doesn't end there. That will be for all the people. And all the people weren't there. It was for the shepherds to tell them, to share with them. The good news of great joy, which is for all of the people. All the shepherds did. They went and saw the sign that God had brought the Savior into the world. But then they were faithful to their commission. The good news that is for all the people. We read a little further down in verse 17 what the shepherds did. When they had seen Him, the baby in the feeding trough, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. Why are we afraid to share the good news with friends, with family, with strangers on a plane? Why would we be afraid? I think down deep, it's like we're little kids, new kid in school. Nobody wants to be laughed at, to be made fun of. We all fear rejection. And yet, we need to understand, as the shepherds did, that people aren't rejecting us when we share the good news. They're either accepting or rejecting God's offer of salvation. Long time ago, people asked Israeli Prime Minister Golda Meir when, if ever, there would be peace in the Middle East between the Jews and the Arabs. And she says, there will be peace when they love their children more than they hate us. Think about that. That's true. When they love their children more than they hate us. In the same way, we need to love the lost more than we fear rejection, more than we hate being made fun of or singled out. We need God's love to share the good news. We need to replace our fear of rejection with love for the lost. When we think of what God's love did, for God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, and we have the privilege of sharing that good news. How can we share it? Because friends, again, it's not about you. One of the great preachers of the Great Awakening, his name was George Whitfield. This picture does not do him justice. I picked that one because he's looking off to the side because all of the engravings and accurate pictures of George Whitfield, who came to faith at Oxford, was a, a friend of John Wesley, one of the founders of Methodism. Whitfield had severe strabismus, cross eyes. All of the true pictures of him, his eyes are crossed. How could you take that man seriously? And yet, he was the greatest preacher of his age. He preached over 8 
18,000 messages of salvation. He was heard, and we're talking about the 17 to the early 1800s, he was heard by over 10 million people. Not a single microphone, not a single television show, all in person by his voice. But Whitfield, of himself, knowing his shortcomings, once said, other men may preach the gospel better than I, but no man can preach a better gospel. Others may be smooth talkers, but you have the best news, the goodest news you'll ever hear, and it's yours to share. Christmas time, around the table, at an inner church banquet, wherever you are, at the drop-in, at a family gathering, with love for others, which is greater than fear of rejection, we can, in an appropriate, kind, respectful way, Always share the good news. Fear not. Don't be afraid. It's one of those things that's difficult to obey unless you replace it with something else. Your fear of God not hearing your prayer, replace it with joyfulness that God loves you and that His answer and work on your life is before begun before the foundations of the earth. Mary replaced her fear of not being able to do what God wanted because it would take a miracle with faith that nothing is impossible for God. Joseph gave up control and the fear that that brings with trusting God and letting Him be the Lord of His life. And finally, as we saw, the shepherds. Oh, they knew people didn't like them in their society. They were the bottom rung of society, but they didn't care because God loved this world and had given us a Savior. And that news was too good not to share. And so they replaced their fear of rejection with love for a lost world. And friends, during this Christmas season, may we take every opportunity to do that as well. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank You for the opportunity to be together this morning. Lord, it's a cold morning. It's a busy day. A lot of people are homesick or not feeling well. And yet, Lord, as we come together, You bless us with the worship, through music. Lord, by being able to pray and intercede for others. And then, Lord, You speak to us from Your Word, the Bible, written thousands of years ago, but inspired by Your Holy Spirit It's fresh and new. It's living and active and can pierce our hearts. Lord, pierce our hearts to take away the fear and replace it with faith and love. This is our prayer. We pray it in the name of Jesus. Amen.